you out tonight. I was looking around when I first took my seat and was watching people yawn. And I thought, oh yes, that Wednesday night thing again. Second uh, Timothy chapter number four. Good selection of songs. Uh, really, I think there's been a good selection of songs uh, in all of the services for the last while. The church has been very strengthening to me and I hope it has been to you also. This robe of flesh, I'll drop and rise to seize the everlasting prize. You know, the Bible says that when we, when we die, and the, the words are used, uh, when we die, we fly away. That, that's not figurative, that's literal. We fly away. People who die in their sins do not fly away. Uh, the people who die in their sins, their fate is tied to this earth that they love so much. So when they die in their sins, they don't go up. They stay with this earth. And so they go down to a, a holding place uh, in the middle of the earth called hell. And their fate is sealed to this place. As much as this earth is sin condemned, sin stained and under sentence of destruction and God's going to burn it up. So those that have died in their sins, folks, they're not leaving. They never get to leave. The only time they'll leave is when this earth is burned up with fire and God will call them forth to the great white throne judgment to put them into the lake of fire. That's the truth. That's the Bible sobering truth. Uh, you can love this world, you can, you can embrace its uh, philosophies, you can embrace its science fiction, you can own that as your own way, you can take it all, you can, you can get every zest and every last drip of pleasure out of this world, but your eternal fate is tied to its condemnation and you will not fly away. You'll never see the crystal sea more about that another night. You'll never get to see what's on the other side, which is God's heaven. You'll never get there. It's a real place. Heaven's a real place. Pastor preaching that Sunday morning. It's a real geographical location. It's not dimensional. It's, it's a real place. It has real streets and real things you could touch. And, uh, but you'll never fly away. Those who die in their sins, they're stuck here. That's it. Forever they're done. They're just awaiting what's coming next. But we get to fly away. That's the blessedness of it. And you, know, you might have seen drawn in the Jack Chick comics where somebody dies and the angel takes hold of them and they fly away. It won't be a lot different to that. Uh, you'll be taken up. Where will you be taken up? You'll be, you'll be taken up through the sky. You'll be taken up through the space. And the space is the domain of Satan and principalities and powers. Pastor mentioned that. You know, when they look in telescopes and the Hubble telescope, go and look at it online sometime, not while I'm preaching, and uh, you'll see pictures of uh, the space and look at some of the things up there and uh, look at that. And if no one told you different, you know what you'd say? You'd say, that's demonic. It's, you know what space is? It's dark, cold, it's demonic. So how does, how does science explain those shapes, those tormented figures, all that? How do they explain that? Well, they just say they're elements, they're gases. That's all they can say. Oh, they are elements, for they were created beings. That's what's in the space. That's what that is. That's what all of that is. And uh, we'll pass through that, we'll fly away, and we'll pass through the crystal sea. 
Crystal Sea is that sea that separates us from heaven. And, uh, and uh, one day that'll be gone. That's the sea that goes one day. You know, for many years I used to wonder about that in Revelation. Why is there no more sea? I love the sea. I love fishing. I love sailing. The sea's wonderful. Why is God getting rid of the sea? It's not that sea he's talking about. It's the crystal sea that separates heaven from us. And so it's all real, folks. And, uh, and uh, we will. We'll fly away. Second Timothy chapter number 4. Let's just read a couple, well, a few verses here. And as much as it would do me well to preach on Alexander the coppersmith, I shall not. And we'll get beyond that. But we'll just uh, start there. Verse number 14 of 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou uh, where also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, and that by me the preaching uh, might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now I'm not going to talk about Alexander and really I'm just going to reference something here with Paul. This really doesn't contain our subject as much but it was kind of like pick a verse because there's about four of them in the message and, and this is just a starting point. But, uh, you know, I, I'm convinced most of us uh, don't believe half of what we say we believe. I, I, I really think that. Uh, here's what I think we've done. What I think we've done, I think we've taken our beliefs, things that we believe and the things that we talk of, and what we do, we put them in a box and that box has a label on it called spiritual things. And so we take a lot of the things that we believe and we just li- they, they stay in that box and, uh, and uh, we say, well, you know, that's, that's spiritual things and, and uh, somehow what we do, we draw from that box occasionally but mostly we look at life not a whole lot different to people who don't know God look at life. And that's really not good because, uh, in fact, uh, the, the, the Bible explains things to us that you could know no other way but through the Bible. The Bible tells us what things are, that it would be impossible to know of those things any other way but through the Bible. And so there's lots of those things that God speaks of. Uh, You know, uh, uh, but if if you're not fully believing the Bible or if you've you've taken things and said, well, that's kind of spiritual things and and perhaps you don't realise how much you think just like the world thinks. Perhaps you don't realise uh, how much your view, your philosophies of life uh, uh, really just are not a whole lot different to uh, people who've never had a Bible and never read a Bible. You know, I listened to a little bit of the, the talk about the Las Vegas shooting and, and uh, you know, one of the things that just keeps reoccurring uh, with that is they say, you know, we're examining his background and we're still looking for a motive. And, uh, and that's very telling and it's very insightful the way people think. Because what they're telling you is, is look, we're trying to work out what went wrong here. We're, try, we're trying to work out, well, he, he must have had a motive. You know, uh, if you had a Bible, you would know that God says some things are just evil. That, that, and that's the motive. They're just evil. And e- evil is still around. 
And, and, and Christians will forever perplex, like our unsaved uh, friends, if we don't reference the Bible. And you're looking for a motive and you're saying, why does this happen? Now, hang, hang on, hang on. There, there's got to be a reason behind this. And, you know, you just, you just sound like some heathen psychiatrist or you just, you just sound like some humanist who, who really believes we all started good. And uh, we're just, uh, and you know, we must have, something must have sort of got him off course or something twisted his mind or something made him mentally ill. And, and really what, what humanists do, they, they're always looking to explain human behavior with, without, without any reference to, to there being a God. But the Bible, the Bible is your best guide to understanding this world we live in. The Bible will tell you that there's evil present in our world. And evil is evil because it is evil. And evil doesn't deserve any other justification. It just needs to be named and resisted and dealt with the way that God said. There are just some things that are evil. Now, there's a trial going on right now that's splashed across the newspapers daily about two women who lured a disabled 18-year-old boy to a home so one of them could live out a murder fantasy, having written a, a, a book on serial killers, wanted to live out that part. And both of those women who were in a relationship, both of those women had been exchanging vile texts in some sort of fanciful, uh, you know, sexual whatever connotation long before they played this out. And then, then finally lured that disabled intellectually disabled 18-year-old boy to their home and by the testimony of one of them today said that uh, while he was sitting in the chair talking to me about games he was playing, she came up behind him and it's all vividly played out, finally stabbed the boy and killed him and then texted her friend the next day and said, I'm still, still uh, excited about feelings I felt that I'd never felt before. Well, what do you call that? Evil. That's what you call it. It's just evil. There's evil amongst us. And, and it is around and, and it's in our culture and there are people out there who are evil and they will do evil things. And uh, God, uh, God has said to uh, those of us here, human government has a role to play in, uh, in uh, uh, you know, hindering that to some degree. But uh, let's be Christians. Let's, let's let the Bible tell us what things are. Let's, let's stop being, being uh, you know, allow the world to shape our thinking. And, and it's, it's very disturbing, the number of Christians who say they believe things, but really, you, you really don't. You really don't. What you think, you think that's just language reserved for church. You think that's just stuff that makes up pastor's sermons. And uh, you don't live that like it's a reality. You, you, all, all kinds of things like that. You know, the church has blindfolded itself and we've hindered our mission simply because we're, we're, uh, we're looking for, we live out uh, our reasonings no different to people in the world. There are some things the Bible will tell you that you cannot find any other place. There's some sobering things the Bible tells us. Shame on you for not reading your Bible. Shame on you. Shame on you for, for, for being so busy in life, just like unsaved people, that you never got your Bible open and found a quiet time 
and, and just ask God just to teach you and stopped when the Holy Spirit stopped you and meditated on things and thought about that. No, no wonder you're like a candle blown in the wind. No, 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 no wonder you're here, you're there, you're everywhere. No, no, no wonder you just, you, just, you just pour out the things that get poured into you and mostly that's the world. There's too much TV and too much Netflix and too much gaming and uh, too much sitting, staring at phones, too much Facebook, too much of that going on and, and Christians have just, you've just become weakened and you don't even know about these things anymore and God help us, you're supposed to be part of the local church. And we're supposed to be doing the mission of God. And we're doing the mission of God with, with half a church full of people who sort of don't really believe it anyway. Now I'm just saying we need to get back to the Bible. Listen, we're, we're living in an evil day. The Bible warned us of this day. That, it would, that this time, evil men would wax worse and worse. And uh, we're living in a time like that. Get, get you a Bible and uh, get some time with God and get some spiritual power. And uh, stop, stop thinking you can get by the way the world gets by. They're duped, they're blinded, uh, they're, they're, they're lemmings about to walk off the cliff. They follow each other one by one. My question is, what are you doing in the queue? Why are you there? You know different to them. Why, why is it that you live your life like that? They get you a Bible and let God begin to define and tell you what's going on. And ask God what you can do and use your days before they're gone and you'll, you'll have bitter regrets that you were, you were no different to the world. In Ephesians 6 verse 12 we read, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Well, just... Meditate on that one. That, that, there's one just to take home and meditate on that. That'll tell you what's going on in the world. That'll, that'll tell you what's assailing things, what, what's going on. Listen, there, there are unseen things that are unseen, but the difference is God told us about it. Okay, your Facebook friends don't know that because they don't read a Bible. The God of this world, small g, hath blinded them. They don't understand, but you're supposed to. And, uh, you know, we focus on flesh and blood and, and to do the same as uh, the unsaved because we're spiritually ignorant. Be careful what you're living your life for. Jesus said to the Laodicean church, the people there, he said, you can't see yourself. You can't see yourself. You think you're this, but you're actually this. That's what he said in uh, Revelation 3.17. Because thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You know, underline that. Thou sayest, but thou art. Thou sayest, thou art. Jesus said, you can't see yourself. You can't see your condition. You don't understand how, 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 uh, how uh, dwarfed you are. You don't realise and so we need to understand the Bible will tell us about some things that nothing else can. We, we need to believe what God has told us. And, you know, I, I believe this, further on this, I believe that we're much more likely to believe what God has said about things that have happened in the past 
then we are to believe God about what he said is going to happen in the future. I reckon if your faith was measured, you're solid behind what's happened in the past. I know that because you put your faith in the cross and Calvary and Jesus and and you believe that and you're solid for that but you hardly ever look this way and you're not as solid when you look this way. Now they're both equally true. They're both equally reliable. As much as this has happened, a thousand percent sure this will happen. And, uh, and we're not looking enough this way and we're not living like we're looking this way. And, uh, and we, we bathe our glories and our songs in the things of, of, that are gone by. And worthy they are to be praised and rejoiced in, but we're not looking to what's coming. Wake up. Wake up. We're, we're on the cusp of going over the edge. You're, you're about to plunge into eternity. You, you, you don't know how close you are to what's coming. You, you, you don't understand. You, you'll look back and you'll say, uh, I never realised in human history I was right there. I never saw it. So I want to give some thoughts to you just about looking that way a little bit. Now, I, I have a, a simple thought and don't, don't panic. It's the beginning of the sermon. It's, we're already you know, most of the way through. I have a simple thought about uh, something that you'll hear preached more in Pentecostal churches than you'll hear preached in our churches. And, uh, and, uh, and because uh, they, uh, they major on it, okay? But we, uh, we rarely mention it. And, uh, and that's, that, that's typical of how some things are. Some people overemphasize something, some maybe underemphasize a little bit. What I want to talk to you about is, uh, is this idea of identity or, or, or I want to talk to you about how, how Christ identified with us. And then what that means for you and then finish, all right? So, so that's the reason I read that. I'd, I'd like to bog down Alexander the Coppersmith and talk a little bit about that. But, 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 but I want you to think about this matter of identity uh, or, or, or more than that, identifying with someone. Now, Paul said, uh, he said that my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. All right, now here's what he was saying. His first answer was when he was called up to trial. So when he was called up to trial before the authorities, when he had to front the Supreme Court and he was put on trial, uh, nobody went with him. And you know why nobody went with him? Because nobody wanted to be identified with him. Because if you were identified with him, you ran the risk of maybe getting the same things. So, so people took a position of self-preservation and they forsook their friendships over a long time and uh, they forgot about the fact of how many times the Apostle Paul had suffered to help them and, uh, and all of that somehow was missing and no one was willing to be identified with Paul when he went up for his first hearing. Now, now, lest you be in any doubt, that was a sin. Now, how do you know it was a sin? Because he said that in uh, verse number 16. He said, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Paul said, I, I, you know, he knew it's very wrong. It's just so wrong to, to not be willing to be identified with someone 
because you don't want it to rub off on you. Now, where does that start? Probably started for you at school. You know, uh, when, when some kid was getting bullied and you decided, I don't want to be identified with that victim, I'll keep walking. And we learn to, to, to choose who we, you know, or, or, or some, some goofy kid that you don't want to be associated with because of what people will say about you. So you don't want to be identified with them. Or, uh, or uh, some other group, you don't want to be identified with that. Why weren't people at the cross? Why, why, why weren't they all rallying behind Jesus and why weren't they supporting him? Because they didn't want to be identified with him. They, 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 they knew the consequences of that. So that's what I mean when I talk about being identified. Now, the blessed thing is this, despite what happened to Paul, and, and it probably will happen to a few more Pauls uh, before the Lord comes. It's not a one-off, I can assure you of that. Uh, despite all of that, uh, I want you to think about the fact that Jesus did something for us. He identified with us. And, and, and there is a great, a great wonder. He identified with us. Now, a lawyer is an advocate. And a lawyer will argue your case. But you're on trial, not him. And uh, he'll, he'll present your side of it. And he'll argue to the presiding judge uh, what things should be considered on your behalf. He's your advocate. He'll speak for you. Uh, but advocacy is not being identified. Jesus is both. Jesus is your advocate, but more than that, he identified with us. Now, now, now you have to understand a little bit of theology here, but you, you have to understand, uh, go right back to Adam and, and even, even go back before that, you can go back to the creation of Lucifer. There's, there's a lot of factors at play here. Another time we'll, uh, you know, look at all that. But uh, God made man and, and uh, in a unique way. And, uh, and uh, did some unique things to make man and, and uh, God put uh, something of himself in man and, and, and made him and, and uh, then we had the fall and we fell into sin and everyone who's ever died in their sin has gone to hell and if you died in yours, you'd gone to hell just as easy. So to fix our sin problem, uh, Jesus and, well, heaven, the, the God made a decision to help us and the way he helped us was this, he decided to, to identify with us. So what did he do? Well, first thing, he became a man. No heavenly entity like had ever done that. Because he was not a man. I mean, he was fully God, but he, he, he became a man. He took upon himself the same flesh and blood that we have. to identify, to be like us. But can you understand, he's identifying with a sinful, rebellious, fallen people. He's by choice saying, I'm going to come along beside them and I'm going to become one of them and I'm going to dwell with them and I'm going to identify with them. How shocking. How, how, how to identify with us like that. We were not worthy of that. We were not, we were your enemies. We were the ones who shouted, crucify him. We did hideous things. And he came and he identified with us and he took on the same flesh and blood so he could be like us. 
And then on the cross, he became identified with our sin and our guilt. That's how far he went in this business of identifying with us. And and he identified himself with our sin and our guilt. And our wounds became his wounds. It's extraordinary that God would do that. And, and take all of that on himself. Not only did he take on our flesh and blood and he uh, identified with us and he identified with our sin and our guilt and, and our wounds became his wounds, he died our death. He identified with us further. He died our death. He, he who had never tasted death died our death. Now all of that, uh, uh, you know, there's verses who... 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. He identified with us. Uh, 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just, for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but quickened by the Spirit. See, that's total identification. That's complete identification. And, and, and that, was a, that was a God initiative. And he did all of that. He identified with us that way. It's just, it just makes me feel like worthy, worthy, worthy. It, just, it draws that out of me. It takes, it takes me to a different place from this world where I just, I just want to... Render to him his praise. His... I'm speechless at that. Because, because we understand it. We understand it. That he wholly identified with us that way and, and became. See, see you, you, you understand a bit of it and I understand a bit of it. I understand a little bit more of it. You know, it's just talking this week to Udom. He flew out today. But, but uh, I, I, I said, Udom, one of the things... I, I talked to a, a security guard at one of our buildings and I said, why is it that every time I go out, uh, you know, I have the authorities behind me and why does that happen to me all the time? And uh, he said, well, he said, they don't understand you. I said, well, what, what is it they don't understand? He said, well, you're always with younger people and people who are, you know, and you're always around, they're always with you. And he said, no, no other foreigner does that. We've, we've, we've never seen that before. Well, because of that desire to identify, to, to win them, by the way, to, to connect, there's been a price has been exacted for that. Because, because, because people who are okay don't readily identify with people who are not okay. People who, people who are well don't readily join themselves to those who are sick. People who have means don't readily join themselves to people... But, but Jesus actually ate with sinners. See, re- really, it's, it's no different to what he did. He actually sat amongst them. Uh, uh, they said, oh, let's, let's go to this restaurant. He said, how about we just eat at this one? Oh, well, that one's much nicer. That's okay. There's a lot of people here. Let's eat. And, I mean, that's what he did. He, just, he was around them. That was part of his identifying with them. 
So he identified with us in that way. And, and here's, here's the closing thought, and this is the good part. Okay, it goes more than that. Because he identified with us, God has now put us identifying with him. And there's some profound outworkings to that. And we don't preach on it much because truthfully, sometimes it, it's, I find it difficult to preach on because I just feel like, well, how, could I, how can we say those, particularly I, being very unworthy? How can I even speak of these glories that, 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 I, I'm, you, know, that you would bestow on a worm? That's what I feel. But in Ephesians 2, verse 5 and 6, we read, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath, and this is, this is what you'll hear preached on Pentecostal churches, but not much in our churches typically, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that's talking about the elevation we got because not only did he identify with us, he made us identify with him. And that's a, a secondary level of blessing that he brought us into. And, and because we're now identifying with Christ, and I don't understand it, that's part of what the brother was preaching here the other night, going from glory to glory. It's all connected in with that. And I don't fully, I don't know why, but God was never content to leave you as a child of Adam. That's why a Roman says a much more, much more, much more, because you're much more now. You see, if Adam had never sinned, the best you would ever be would you be a child of Adam. But somehow, even through the awfulness of the fall, God worked a wonderful tapestry of that, and now he made you a child of God. And, and how could it be that the fallen sons of Adam could become children of God? Uh, surely it would have been enough to give us the servants' quarters. Or if we'd been the dogs that had the crumbs of his table, it would have been enough but that you would take us and uh, not, not bring us in as servants, but you would call us the sons of God. It's staggering. Why don't you live up to your calling? Why don't you realise who you are? Why have you let this world shape you and diminish you and you don't realise who you are. You know what you're going to be one day? You're going to be a priest during the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, you say, I, 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 well, I'll show you. It's Revelation uh, chapter number one, as you said, in multiple places. Revelation chapter number one. And, and this is wonderful. And it's, it's almost too Wonderful. Verse number 6, Revelation chapter number 1. Now let's read the end of verse 5. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And here it is. And how many times did you read over this and didn't, you didn't think anything? And I only say that because I did it too. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. Now, now if it just said that, okay. Do you know what a priest is? Do you know what a priest is? We don't have priests anymore. This, this, this age of grace, there are no priests. There's a heavenly high priest, that's Jesus, but, but there are no priests in this age of grace. 
this church age. There are none. They were before this. Uh, they were. They're, they're all found through the Old Testament. They had a special role. But you know what a priest is? A priest is an intermediary. A priest is someone who stands between you and God. So the Bible is telling us that it is the will of God and it is your destiny that you should be made, and listen, I didn't say, a king and a priest. Kings and priests. Now, now this will all make sense in just a second. You're kings and priests. So what does that mean? It means in the thousand-year reign of Christ, which is literal and on this earth, as uh, the Bible teaches us and pastors has been teaching us, the thousand-year literal Jesus sitting, ruling, reigning on earth, by the way, with a rod of iron. Because that's the only way you can rule people with such uh, dastardly imaginations as us. Uh, We're so gifted at using our witty inventions unto evil. That's what we are. We're so good at it. So he's going to rule with a rod of iron. What does that mean? There'll be firm laws and, and very clear what's right and what's wrong and and very, very certain judgments on things that are wrong. And what, what will happen with that? Well, what's going to happen is the population of the earth is going to surge. People are going to live longer. Uh, uh, probably people will have a lot more children. The, the whole, there'll be a huge increase. I'm going to say the largest populations earth has ever known. And you're going to find out that everybody's still eating off the fat of the land. And we were able to take that many and a whole lot more. You were lied to about the whole population thing. There's going to be a huge increase during the millennial reign and people are going to live longer and they're going to be happier and and people are going to say, boy, this works really good. You know, having these rules and these laws and, and, and to know that Jesus himself is seated there in Jerusalem and, well, here's what he's going to do. He's going to have people who we know are the saints of this age who will come back with him at the end of the seven year tribulation period. You know what? If Jesus comes back in the next one year, and he come back any time, but it's going to be really, really soon, and I hope the people who will listen to this, if it doesn't get removed by the Antichrist, if you ever get to hear it, I hope, I hope you'll date when we said this tonight. And I hope you'll know there were a group of people here tonight who knew it was coming, and we knew it was never the aliens. But you didn't listen. But Jesus comes back in the next one year. Do you know what that means? It means in eight years' time, you're coming back. In eight years' time, you're back on earth. You're coming because you come back with him. And when you come back and he sets up his thousand-year reign on earth, there'll be this huge uh, uh, population growth. Cities will be all over the earth. And guess who's going to be ruling those cities? Almost like they were kings. Almost like they were kings. And, uh, and those people will have an intermediary role between that one who sits on the throne there on earth. And that's why he says, you'll be like priests and kings. That's what's coming. Why are you wasting your life now? Why can't you see that? You know, I'll tell you why you can't see it, because you don't read it. Because you don't, you don't read it. That's why you can't see it. You read everything else. Shame on you. You, your, mind, you, your mind is full of the things of this world. And, and if you'd read your Bible, 
you're going to be kings and priests, Revelation 1. Then he says it again in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10. Verse number 9, and they sung a new song, chapter 5 of Revelation, verse 9, and they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. Well, it's just pretty plain, isn't it? How'd you read over it? It's just, it's just right there. That we're going to reign. That's the people who are already up there in heaven saying we're going to reign. We're going to come back down and reign on the earth. You're coming back. You, you'll be back here. It won't seem abnormal to people born in the millennium that there'll be these people who'll be uh, heading up over these vast cities uh, uh, who will have a special connection with Jesus because they were the saints of the age of grace. And that's the promise of what is coming. Revelation 20 verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Well, there it is. That's your destiny. That's, that's what happens because he not only identified with us, but he made us identify with him. And so that's what I'm saying about, about that you believing what's happened already, but you're not having the same belief about that which is coming. And we're on the very edge of it. Now, I won't go into it, but now reread your parables in Luke 19 about the ones who are faithful. And he says, uh, uh, you, because you've been faithful, we'll give you five cities. Five cities. What does that mean? It means cities. And this one will rule over ten. That's what he's saying. That's the reward for present day faithfulness. That, that you will be given authority over, over multiple cities. I hope I get Bangkok. Uh, you'll, uh, you'll, uh, you'll be given authority over various places. And, and uh, you'll, you'll serve that dual function of uh, like unto a, well he says like a kings and priests. So we need to believe that and we need to understand what's been given to us in our identity with Christ. Would you agree with me that we let the devil dupe us out of all sorts of stuff? We live way below our level and I'm the first to admit that I do. He wants to lie to you. He wants to get your mind so caught up with here and now that you won't be doing for him and and this stuff will just seem like a Fairy tale, you know, that's the problem when you watch too many movies. You start to think it's all movies. This is truth. And we need to get back in your Bible. You know what I'd do if I was young? If I was young, I'd serve Jesus. I wouldn't serve the gods of money. I'd, I'd, I'd stake a claim for eternity. And I'd say... Uh, and I reckon that no one would understand it. But I'd, I'd go for souls. And I'd go for being a teacher of the book. And I'd ask God to just give me some power to get up and proclaim the word of God in these last days. And I'd be a voice. A voice crying in the wilderness. Uh, that one was coming very soon. That's what I'd do. 
and we've got so, so misplaced, displaced. There's a blessed truth in this thing of identifying with Christ and, and I hope you'll get your Bible and I hope you'll let God get hold of your heart. Listen, if you'll spend time with your Bible instead of everything, I didn't say do your Bible reading. I said if you'd spend time with your Bible and just get you in the book and just, just lock everything else out and put the phone in another room or turn it off and just, just dwell with God for a little bit and start to ask and study the scriptures out, it will get hold of you. Problem is too many other things have got hold of us and we, we, need, to, we need to get back with that. You have a blessed destiny ahead. It's extraordinary. I know I don't deserve it and I know you don't deserve it. And I, I, I don't preach it much because I just, it, it choke, I choke on it. I, I, I just can't even say that. But the Bible says it. The Bible says it. That that will be our future. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Let's just bow for a moment of prayer. Here's what I'd like to do. As, as you just bow for a moment of prayer, why don't you just take two minutes at the end of the message and just, just say what you want to say to God and just ask him to speak to your heart. It might have might just been a timely uh, rap on your heart's door from the Lord and maybe just this truth has just, just permeated you a little bit. Why don't you just take a moment. I want to tell you something. Great things happen in church. God will speak to you in church almost clearer than any other place. Great things happen in church. Great things happen when the Holy Spirit is moving amongst us and God just, God will just, he'll get you back to where you should be. Everything, a lot of things just fall together in a good way in church. Just take a moment to just pray and, and just maybe uh, let God realign us back with the Spirit of God and thank God for the book and Thank God for our church. I don't know how many churches it'd be in the world that you'd go to where the prophecy is still being taught like it gets taught in this church. And all these things unfolded and God help us. Father, bless us. We need you. You hold in your hands the ability to bless and to curse. Our Lord, already you've positioned us that when we die because of Jesus, we'll fly away. Or it could be, Lord, that we'll be here uh, when you come and then we'll still fly away and we'll meet you in the air. And we know, Lord, when that happens, we'll also be coming back. Help us, Lord, because as sure as there's a devil and as sure as the night is dark, when we walk out of the building tonight, the world will just reach out and want to give us a big hug again and welcome us back to its folds. So, Lord, we need the Holy Spirit. We need to be spiritual people in a dark place. Help us. Have mercy on me, Lord. I know I'm a sinner. I pray you'd help me. I look forward to the day that this robe of flesh I will drop and I can rise and this corruption will put on incorruption. That'll be a glorious day, Lord. I thank you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.